Time and again, the world bears witness to truths seldom said. Lend an ear. We promise enlightened, informed conversation. My name is Robert, and this is Seldom Said, the place where conversation matters. Welcome back. The program is called Seldom Said. My name is Robert. Uh, special treat today. Our guest is Mr. Ernest Stewart, one of the finest trombonists scans out there, especially in regard to the jazz idiom. Ernest is also the founder of the Center City Jazz Festival in Philadelphia, so a man of many hats, and each hat is worn with a certain gravitas. Welcome to Seldom Said, Ernest. Hey, thanks for having me. I wonder if we can start with a little bit of personal background, who you are, where you've been, and what's brought you to this time and place. <laughs> yes, we're starting off light, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, wow, where, who I, you know, it's funny, I, um, I, I, I was recently, uh, interviewed by a jazz festival, um, and it's been many years since I've, I've had to interview, uh, for a job or, or a position. They were looking for a director, um, and it was brought to my attention that they were, you know, and they thought that I should uh, interview for the job. And it's funny how strange it feels to me to have to begin, you know, a conversation with myself. <laughs> it's, it feels very strange and awkward. Um, but uh, obviously I'm a trombonist um, and it, I always say it's, I'm a trombonist not by choice. <laughs> I, if I had it my way when I was 12 years old, I would have become a saxophonist. Um, but I, you know, the trombone picked me, uh, as a matter of speaking, I guess. And, um, you know, I, by the time I knew I, I got to, uh, to middle school or to high school, I finished middle school and, started high school in the same year. And, uh, by the time I got to high school, I knew immediately that I was going to play the trombone for the rest of my life. And it was just up to me to figure out how to make that work. Uh, so I actually got my first job at McDonald's, uh, to begin paying for trombone lessons. And, I began studying with a really great musician uh, out of of Sicklerville, New Jersey, who is still a good friend of mine today. Actually, I I just called him up for a lesson, and we have I haven't had a lesson with him <laughs> since high school, so it, it should be it should be fun to see him. Uh, you know, I, I'm taking the uh, car in for a checkup. <laughs> And, uh, and yeah, you know, I, after high school, I went to Temple University in Philadelphia and I began playing around town, really searching for music and searching for opportunities to perform. Uh, once those became, uh, more, uh, prevalent, I, I kind of switched my focus from school to performing, uh, you know, and I barely made it out of school because of that. But I had a sense that no matter what, I was going to have to figure this out. You know, I w if I got straight A's or straight C's after this experience, after this time period was over, I would need to have, you know, a path forward in music. So I devoted most of my time uh, while at Temple to performing outside of school and and really, you know, trying to uh, chart a, a path for myself. Ernest, and uh, yep, oh, please continue. Yeah, no, it, it and eventually it, it led me to New York, and in New York I met uh, I met a great. A percussionist and drummer named Sonny Jane, and Sonny Jane happened to be the leader of a band called Red Barat, 
And after a year after I met him, he called me and asked me to do a show with him. And after that show, he asked me to come on tour with him. And I pretty much toured with Red Barat for about six or seven years after that. You've mentioned going to college and having the college experience morning till night, just thinking about music. Do you feel, given your own sensitivities, that education per se needs to be more improvisational, as your idiom is? You know, I, I you you would think, uh, especially being a, a jazz uh, student, um, that or using jazz as as the the method for for learning something uh that it it would contain more improvisation uh but i found that it didn't um and i've i've found you know that certain part of the jazz education system as it was you know when i was in school to to kind of I, I guess fell students in that way, um, and and its lack of 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 improvisation and and diversity of thoughts and things like that. It was it was much more rigid, I'd imagine, than it is now. Jazz itself, as a methodology of performing music, was it always in your genes, in your bones, in your ambitions? You know, I would say that it wasn't always there. Music was, and I always wanted to play music. Um, no one else in my family were musicians, um, but I I just needed to to figure out how to get my hand on an instrument and <laughs> and make music from it. Um, I was just always drawn to it. Uh, but jazz came around the time I, I got stuck with the trombone, um, and immediately it just, you know, the, the floodgates were, were opened and I, I fell in love. What an amazing epiphany that must have been. Do you have a moment where you can say, my God, this is it. This is where I'm going. That's a great question. Um, if I had to think about, you know, I, I remember when I was in high school, I was a freshman and the band was asked to open up for uh, a local, uh, so the high school jazz band was asked to open up for a local um, uh a band like cover band a band uh called don't call me francis who are still around and i don't know how or why they decided to let you know they, they were a really popular cover band and i don't know why they decided to let a group of high schoolers open for them but uh we opened for them and at the end of our set i i vividly remember a man kind of racing over to us and directing attention to me and really telling me and encouraging me to keep going and to keep pushing. And I, you know, I think back on that moment as being a moment that was just like, wow, <laughs> you know, like music, music really has an effect on people, you know, and if I can get better at this, then maybe, you know, I can connect with more people. Tommy Dorsey had a statement, it might be apocryphal, but it's attributed to him, whereby he said that the trombone was the hottest instrument in the band. I've not known personally too many people who have fixed their attention to learning the trombone. Are there any inherent unique qualities and difficulties in learning the instrument? Yes, I would I, I would say so. Uh, it's not unlike the upright bass uh, in terms of just the physical uh, action of the instrument, whereas uh, the trumpet and the piano and 
the saxophone have keys that you press down. Uh, you kind of need to learn a position that a note sits and memorize where that position is down to the millimeter uh, for in order for it to be in tune and remain in tune. And the same thing goes for the upright bass. You know, you, you do have strings, but you know, there, 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 there are no frets and you just need to know where your note is on that instrument. Um, you know, I think that, you know, creates the opportunity for a really interesting and wonderful sound. Uh, I've, I've heard the trombone compared frequently to the human voice, you know, um, and the way that you can slide in and out of notes uh, is really, it's really great um, and interesting. Um, but again, that makes it more difficult because you're depending on, you know, your arm for getting from one note to another and you're depending on your tongue for all of the articulations. So it makes it much more difficult to play quickly than it would, you know, be if you played saxophone or piano. Um, but you learn your way around the, the horn and that becomes easier and, you know, you, you figure it out. The story of Thomas Jefferson learning the violin, even though he was tone deaf, trying to learn it mathematically. Does one need near perfect pitch to properly play trombone? No, you just need proper training. Yeah, I, I would say that it's, it's a process that I go through even now, you know, updating and constantly checking my pitch and, and figuring out, you know, the best the best methodologies for me to improve upon that, you know, particular aspect of, of my playing. Um, but yeah, I don't want, I wouldn't say that you need perfect pitch. You just need to be willing to address that issue, you know, uh, head on. I do remember as a young man attending a jazz concert in a club and an African-American friend tapped me on the shoulder and said, Robert, look at the trumpet player. He's a jazz man. And I looked at the trumpet player, and he was holding his horn with his pinky and just relaxing through the entire set. Is there a jazz attitude as well as a talent? You know, I think that leads to... Uh, a, a a bigger question um you know what is jazz and for some it it is it is uh satisfactory to pin it down to a particular musical genre um but i never found satisfaction in that uh, I always thought that jazz was bigger than that, and I uh, can 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 say that you know from all of my experiences in music, jazz is an approach, not so much a musical genre as it is an approach to music, um, and in a broader sense, an approach to life. So. <laughs> seeing it from that lens, I would say that jazz sure can be an attitude. Um, and by attitude, I'm, I'm sure you mean approach. An approach, uh, people breathe in, breathe out. There's something about the relaxation to being able to totally commit yourself to improvisation sure. and let things happen. I am glad you brought up the question of the definition because I did want to deal with that later in the interview, but it is uh, one of the cores of our conversation, hopefully. If, sure. I were if I were to deal with it and try to explain it to a listener without the pretense of in some way trying to perform it, is there a way to explain what the idiom is? It strikes me as freedom, 
improvisation strikes me in that fashion. Can I teach the idiom from a book? Can I have it in a classroom? Can I be a student of it before I hear it? I don't, yeah, you know, that's one of the inherent things about learning music is you need music in order for you to learn music. Um, And reading it out of a book, say you were in a cave somewhere and you never heard music in your life and you found somehow a book about jazz and you some for some reason knew how to read (laughs) then you know could you learn jazz from reading that book and the answer of course is is no um i would even venture to say that you would have a much better chance of knowing and learning jazz from no book at all and just records or constantly hearing it perform live um it it of course you know there's a deeper sort of um uh dive that you can do into the genre and you know learning the history and and learning you know i mean there's nothing wrong with attempting to retain historical information or or an approach even if i wanted to write a method book for jazz trombone there's nothing wrong with that but in terms of learning how to improvise and and understanding um the context that improvisation has within a band uh i I would say that Nah, learning it solely from a book probably wouldn't do you any justice, but learning it from records and the radio and CDs and just hearing the music is definitely the, the way to go about it. Do you ascribe to the idea of the prodigy, Ernest? It's overdone as a term, but it is used prevalently, especially in the arts. I I do think that there are uh, prodigies, you know. Um, I I know a couple, <laughs> you know. Um, I I you know it, it it stands to reason that these people could have applied their talent, what what whatever it is that makes them you know able to retain the information and regurgitate it through, you know, this particular format. Uh, you know, they could take this skill and apply it to different, you know, <laughs> fields. Um, but those who choose to play music, uh, you know, to be able to hear a song once or twice and to never need the music again, that's a real thing. Mm-hmm. Um and it's really helpful when you're trying to learn, you know, to play music. There are people um, such as Justin Faulkner. He's the drummer for Bradford Marcellus. He began playing with me. Uh, I was in high school. He was about 15 or 16. And he was absolutely incredible. Uh, cl- like, clearly one of the best drummers in Philadelphia. Uh, and he was a kid. And always played like that, you know, always was was always a great drummer. And, uh, you know, I know trumpet players who were just great trumpeters from a very, very young age. And they stick out because it usually takes people quite a while to get where they already were when they were in their early to mid teens. Those are the people who are prodigies. And. I think that they should be celebrated. You know, those are gifts. And for a genre like jazz, you know, it's, a genre like jazz is a great way to, I don't know, show off, you know, such an amazing gift. There is the thought that certain aspects of music are ethnic or the products of a cultural background and history. It's a marvelous quote from Nina Simone. She was once asked after listening to Joplin, 
how did you feel? And she said, I hope she doesn't kill herself reaching down for those black sounds. (laughs) (laughs) I've never heard that quote before. It's a marvelous quote. (laughs) (laughs) Nina Simone was something else, man. Oh, my God. Do you buy into this concept of music essentially being the product of a culture and therefore most pure when it's performed by someone experiential in the culture? Hmm. So taking a step back, I would say that I do believe jazz is a product of a culture and that much is well documented. Um, you know, and of, of at at the very beginning, you know, we can look at jazz being the product of black culture in America. Um, and rhythmically, we can trace it around the world to the diaspora of African slaves. You know, it if you if you think about all the places where people were taking taken out of Africa and placed around the world, the, the, the richness of music that flows from those places, Brazil or Cuba, uh, you know, jazz in America, you know, it's really beautiful, complex music have come from these places. Um, and, to be a practitioner within jazz, I don't think you'd need to be black. Um, but if you've never experienced the day-to-day trauma and microaggressions that come along with being black, for instance, I, I, I do feel your blues won't be as blue as somebody who does. And there's a richness, you know, that there's a richness that your music contains when you've experienced the life. Um, you know, black or not, there's times that you can hear a singer and you can hear that that person has never had a hard day in their life. Um, and then you can hear a singer who, white or black, uh, has gone through a whole lot. And the music contains something that is, you know, it's very enriching to to their message, to their song, to their to the story, and it comes out in, in in the music. You know, I think that black people in America just has just have an, a a lot of that to offer because you know daily lives for black in america for for black people in america especially you know the further back you you go in jazz you know was very rough i was just looking at the picture the other day of a bloodied miles davis who was beaten up by cops outside of birdland you know, just because he was standing out there and they didn't think he should be standing there. I remember that story. And he, he was like, I'm playing. And you see my name on the door, you know. And, you know, it's just, so there's these experiences. Do I think that he's ex- he experienced a lot of that in his, in his life? Yes. And do I think that somehow came out in his music? Yes. And is that why I, you know, that, that sort of uh, uh, richness and... Of, of, of experience that comes out of his music is part of what makes that music interesting to me. There's often a useful, the story of Miles Davis and Wynton Marsalis, that phrase, cutting heads and competing on stage. Have you ever participated in such, and what is your view of that kind of competition? I absolutely have, <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, you know, it's... It's I, I believe there's a lot of bravado in jazz. And if anything, that's just an extension of that bravado that 
you know, these musicians carried around that I carried around when I was younger, where you wanted to be the king of the hill, you know, and whether it was the hill of the, of the entire section or, or scene that you were involved in or on your particular instrument or, you know, or the jam session that night, you know, you want to go and you want to play well and playing well and being considered the best at what you did meant you got hired to do more things and you know it was just a, it was attached to some true economic realities dealing with the music source itself have you ever had an evening earnest where it was just so good so perfect that you were concerned about the next night as to whether you could find that spot again? <laughs> yes, of course. Um, yeah, there, there are times where the, the bands, you know, <laughs> it's, it's, it's tough these days because you don't get an opportunity often to, to, to play and tour with a band. And, the more the rhythm section changes, the more variables there are at play. Um, but there are those moments where everything is locking in and everyone is in each other's heads and it just it feels amazing, you know? Um, but you kind of have to start over the next day with a clean slate. You know, there, there, was a, a, there is a jazz pianist named uh, Kenny Warner who wrote a book called Effortless Mastery. And he discusses that in, in the book where it's it's about letting go and having no uh, expectations. You know, the more you think about last night and how great I sounded last night, the more opportunity you have to, fought, to fail and fall flat on your face uh, tonight because you know, you, you make one mistake and then all of a sudden you're like, wait, but that's last night was, Oh God. And then you get into this headspace that can take quite a while to get out of, or quite a lot of liquor <laughs> to, <laughs> to get out of. So you need your horn and a straw. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know what, man, there's, you know, I, I, I've always believed that there's a fine line of like having just enough to drink before a show <laughs> and just not enough, you know, like, or just doing too much or, you know, just like maybe one would just help you get out of your own head and, you know, be in a moment and really appreciate what's happening around you. Given everything we're talking about at this moment, do you feel then, Ernest, you could really ever teach creativity? I think you can teach ways to prepare <laughs> your body to express creativity. Uh, I don't think you can teach creativity. <sighs> I think you can teach things that look like creativity, but I don't think that you can teach like a, a, a sort of uh, honest creativity. Um, for instance, uh, I went to a comedy show and the MC for the evening uh, ran a comedy school. And, you know, that concept of, of running a comedy school and teaching someone comedy is interesting. And and I'd imagine that they teach you how to construct a joke and how to deliver that joke. Um, and let's say you learn how to do that. Does that make you a funny person? Like, I don't know that that actually makes you a funny person as much as, you know, you learn how to tell a joke or you learn to tell a series of jokes. Um, I don't I don't know if you would then be able to, you know, become a comedian and make lots of money off of it. Maybe you can, I don't know, but 
creativity, I, I believe, is similar. You know, I can teach you how to see something and and draw exactly what you see perfectly. But that does that make you a creative person? You, you know, I, I don't. I don't I don't know. It makes you skillful. You know, and I think there's a difference between being skillful and being creative. You know, creative takes something that is not there and and places it there. You know, sees sees you know takes a bunch of materials that we have around us, whether they're notes or anything, and words or you know, and rearranges them in a way that they haven't been arranged. That's creativity, you know. Is there a danger then, Ernest, in waiting for it? Let it happen, let it be. One can wait just so long. Um, Have you waited for a moment on stage? You know, I don't know. No, I, you know, sometimes you, you can wait for a moment, but waiting for inspiration to strike, that's, I don't think that's any way to live, you know. Um, I think that there's people who have and have, uh, there's people who, who, who have and have made great careers off of, you know, an artistic uh, endeavor that depended, you know, strongly on on create on on inspiration, and you know there are certain people such as Maya Angelou, you know, she had a room in a hotel that she would go to every single day from the same time maybe even eating the same sandwich or, you know, at the same time of every day. And that was her routine. She was an extremely creative person, but she was very regimented in, 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 in her practice. Um, I believe that with jazz, there's, you don't have to wait for inspiration to strike. You don't have to wait to be, smacked on the head with you know just a great idea i think you just need to begin actively creating in that moment you know jj johnson always talked about creating a melody i need to create a melody you know you don't have to wait just create a melody with what's happening around you and then let that melody morph and change and, and grow into the rest of your solo Taking that perhaps a step forward, uh, during his master class at Lincoln Center, when Marcellus was teaching a student who wanted to play classical music, and as opposed to the jazz idiom you've just described, he told the student, you really are going to have to listen, to listen. Yeah. Do you enjoy playing other types of music that more closely rigidify your creativity? You know, when I was in Philly, uh, in in school, I used to play a lot of of salsa, uh, and I used to play in wedding bands all the time. I've played rock bands and hip hop stuff. I I, I was just on the road with uh, this past winter. I was on the road with John Legend, and you know, those. Maybe take salsa out of it, but the rest of them aren't really creative endeavors. You 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 know you're you're playing music and that's great and you know you you can approach the music creatively, but in terms of you know you're you're not really improvising or you know creating moments with the drummer or the bass player. Um, however, I found. I find those moments to be very fun and uplifting and 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 cool. I used to love playing in wedding bands, you know, when I was playing in wedding bands all the time. Because, you know, it's basically a party that we're a part of. 
<laughs> and we're 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 here to pro- provide some much needed entertainment for everyone and even if they were horrible dancers it would be it would be incredible you know to to be a part of that moment you've mentioned playing different types of music i must ask the all purpose question ernest that has been asked of me and asked of everyone who's ever picked up an instrument do you consider rap to be music without a doubt indeed would you expound on that sure um you know there's there's two parts or to like i guess taking a really dumb simplistic uh look at it there's two parts you have the words and you have uh the beat or the production behind the words i absolutely consider the the words uh or the production behind the words to be music you know i think that's undeniable um but the lyrics do we consider that music some people could say no it's poetry or no it's trash or whatever i i absolutely think it's music you know cuz rhythm is music and what they're saying is is rhythmic and it fits over the music you know that's behind it and that's that's important you know i if rap was not rhythmic i probably wouldn't like it as much but um but yeah there's 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 rhythm and rhythm is king and rhythm is music have you ever considered then of using your talents as a composer or a lyricist yeah <laughs> i don't i i i wouldn't consider writing lyrics to music um mainly because i've met too many great songwriters and you know it's just really amazing songwriters um and yeah i it, it wouldn't i i would i would feel you know it, it's it's interesting that 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 you say that because i think everyone should experience that even though i don't think that i have i can't really remember a moment that i've had to write lyrics to a song but everyone should probably experience that writing lyrics to a song and figure out how difficult it is to make a really good song and then you 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 hold people like john legend uh in a much different light you know when you behind it, such a talent how do you contour your playing to their needs and how do you create the moment that they can step into you know it's it's a group effort um with someone like john legend um or you know even earlier in the year it was it was sill and as a part of a band we're just there to provide this platform for this artist to 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 sing above and to to get within and to feel comfortable with uh there are certain singers that you know you get the opportunity to really collaborate instantaneously with them you know on stage we're creating a moment together and you know it's not predetermined it's it's in those moments usually a, a solo that's happening behind the vocals or happening with the vocals that are really interesting and um you know those are truly collaborative moments and i i really enjoyed those those moments as as well have you had a particular experience where your museum as you where your instrument uh, as you describe it is extemporaneously an expression of the human voice where it has in some way overlapped onto the voice of a performer yes um you know i was doing something recently in indianapolis with a singer and we had a moment you know just kind of going back and forth uh at at the end of a song and 
yeah, it was it was a very beautiful moment where the the sounds mixed and we created a, a really great sound together. And uh, it was even written about in a local paper, you know, that that particular part of the concert was was mentioned. And it was yeah, it was a great moment. You know, I really enjoy enjoy performing with singers. And I've gotten uh, many opportunities through through the years to uh, do so. I once asked a, in quotes, rock musician who he would like to listen to acoustically, and he could not separate the idiom, idiom of his own type of music from electrification. Hmm. What is your view of what technology is doing to the instrument? Uh, you, I I think it's all great. You know, I I don't believe things are are are, are sacred. Um, especially when it comes to art, uh, and and, and music. Uh, you know, you should be free to explore your creativity if you're not getting you know it, it would be weird i i believe or <laughs> weird is kind of dismissive maybe uh it, it, it would be <laughs> a challenging concept for me to get behind to say we should be you know encouraging creativity but you're limited creatively to what we have right here right now and and you're or you know to the confines of you know what Daisy Gillespie had to work with and that's all you get to work with you know if artists are hearing things or dreaming up ideas for ways to express themselves and need you know, to extend what's capable right, right, right now, or to reach beyond what's capable right now to create instruments that we've never heard of. I think that's great. That's only, you know, if creativity is the only thing maybe that's that's sacred, then we should be supporting that. And if part of supporting creativity is is allowing for that search. Uh, for sounds and ideas to reach beyond what is capable right now with instruments and instrumentation, then go for it. Curious then, uh, and I guess I'm dating my myself, I do remember the instance where Jimi Hendrix played the Star Spangled Banner at Woodstock. Sure. And later hearing it, wondering whether that was musicianship, technicality, the art of a person who was a master of the technique of producing an electric sound or simply someone who was insanely creative? Is there a danger in giving in to the technique? No, I think it was all of those things. Hmm. Uh, I, it, was, it was all of those things that you, you, you mentioned combining at once. And to me, that is creativity. Uh, taking everything that's around you, taking everything and combining it in a way that, you know, he was doing things with that medium that people just never thought of, never really did. You know, it, it's just really, really amazing. I have, I have a lot of respect for, for Jimi Hendrix. As do I. It... <laughs> It destroyed my impetus in trying to play guitar. I shall say. Yeah, that. <laughs> yeah. You know, I he 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 was a, a freak of nature. <laughs> you know, I mean, the the way he he approached that instrument and a setup of three people, you know, was just fascinating, man. That is incredible, indeed. Now it is time to begin talking about Center City. You're taking all of our conversation and you're putting it on stage and people are listening to you constructively create what we've just discussed. What is the background to the festival? Well, the festival came about, um, 
you know, I, I went to New York um, and I began touring with that band and I, uh, uh, Red Barat, and I, I really, I, 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 anytime I would go back home, I, I realized how small the scene was, was getting, you know, venues began to close and it, it became more, you know, I, I was acutely aware of the places you could play around Philadelphia because I was out every single night with my horn and I, you know, when, when I was in school, I would just go out every single night and try to find a place to play. And, and I, I found that all the places that I began that, that I, I really loved as, as, places to meet other musicians and to hang out to hear music uh were closing and after a while you know we just began complaining about it everyone all the musicians and you know i joined the chorus um but eventually i just got tired of complaining and and felt that i had to do something about it so i created a kickstarter campaign to raise money for the first festival and you know i just figured it was either going to happen or it wasn't going to happen <laughs> and you know it happened have you found it equitable to have to educate the audience as to how they should enjoy the jazz idiom no it's been un unnecessary um it's very strange Actually, it's it's funny that that you should bring that up, uh, because at the festival, you know, it, it, the festival is filled with people that I don't I don't know who these people are. I don't normally see them around the scene, um, but they come and they're very serious about this music, even the really challenging artists um, that we present uh, that a novice might not really, that I, I wouldn't imagine a novice would find palatable. Um, they're very serious. You know, those artists from that band will come off the stage and walk over to me and say, man, we just sold more CDs here than, you know, like the last three months or the last six months. Um, people are very serious at the jazz festival and, and they really love the music. And to be honest with you, I don't know why, you know, because I, I, you know, I, I don't see them any other part of the year. And is they come out to this event and they're very serious about music, but they, I have to figure out a way to get them from the event into the other parts of the scene, you know, throughout the year. Um, because it's, you know, it's, it's really, it would be amazing to have these people, you know, regularly attend shows around Philadelphia. Would you like to create a Grateful Dead kind of syndrome where people just come in and they record on their own and they listen? It's chaotic, but incredibly yeah, informative sure. at the same time. Would sure, like sure, that? sure. You know, it's, I, I mean, I don't want to say that it feels like that already, but I, I would say that, you know, people have have been very, people have, 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 have been great. And there's a lot of people that come out. I would say the majority of the people who come out every year have been there the previous year or pre throughout all the previous years. Um, they're very su supportive of this and they... And they love it. Um, you know, it's it's almost like I wish I can open their minds up a bit further just to sort of begin attending shows regularly throughout the year. You have people in the past, uh, the name Bessie Smith always strikes my mind, who are incredibly effective performing but terrible business people. 
would you advise a person in the listening audience who wants to pursue music, especially this type of music, to understand the business aspect? Did you know Bessie Smith was a Philadelphian? Yes. Incredible. Yes. That's, <laughs> there's so many people like that in Philadelphia that you're just like, oh, my God, Billie Holiday? I had no idea. Um, but, uh, yeah, you know, I, I, I hope that people, that musicians see what I'm doing and do the same thing. I I think I I think they should recognize that I'm only a trombone player and there's there's no difference between me or them um you know if you have an idea or if you're thinking of a way of presenting music that is a bit different or that's not happening right now in Philadelphia you know, go for it and try to make it happen. You know, there's there's no harm in in the attempt. And I've always opened up my my uh, quote my quote doors for for conversations with musicians that who who want to talk uh, about something that they're working on and they want advice or something. You know, they 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 should go for it and learn the lessons that I've learned through you know, putting on eight of these things. Why do you feel then, Ernest, that someplace in Tokyo there's a bar and a kid playing jazz and people piling out into the street? Why is it so popular overseas and so difficult to present here? You know, I think that's that's a part of a broad a broader trend where if it, it's, 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 you know, there's so many ways I feel like I can explore this topic. Uh, there's, there's this cultural thing where things just move quickly in America. And I think part of that is because America is so young. Um, and these other cultures abroad are much older. And so where we might have a moment where we're really into jazz, like we did uh, in American history, these cultures picked up jazz and, and kept the support of jazz up uh, through the years and the decades. Um, I... I would also, you know, be tempted to look at the the fact that, you know, jazz was created here and a lot of American uh, exports have been ex extremely popular abroad, um, even well past the dates that they were popular here in America. Um, you know, and, and, and I, I think... Um, the audiences abroad are 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 really good uh, at at dealing with with art forms um, across the, the the board. You know the appreciation for it um, might be more broad or 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 structured differently in their society than it is here. You know, we're 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 struggling to keep music in schools here, Indeed. you know, but the appreciation abroad, you know, it, it doesn't seem like, you know, I've, I've, I've never heard this, the same conversations about music abroad that I've heard here in America uh, and the appreciation of art and culture and, you know, all, and in the many ways that, you know, art is is displayed, you know, it's. It's it's it 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 does seem that it's much more difficult to present art performing arts here, but what I've noticed here in America, or specifically in Philadelphia, that I had I I couldn't approach 
I couldn't approach it the way that it's been it's been approached before. And I just changed it a little bit and made it w- what I thought Philadelphians would appreciate. And it turned out to work. You know, I, it, it was a good guess and a good thought, and I guess a, a good execution of that thought. Um, but it leads me to believe that maybe the art isn't the issue, but the presentation of the art in in America could be the issue in the way that we talk about it, in the way that, you know, we expect people who've never played music in their life in America to be thrusted into an environment where they can't talk, they can't, you know, move around, they can't have a visceral relationship with the art. It has to be intellectual. And I think we lose a lot of people that way. You say that this is a topic that you can approach in so many ways that I've often felt a good interview interview in a conversation was not a classical piece. Uh, it was more or less a fugue, uh, a bit of a riff. Sure. It, it's your palette and your brush, so take it wherever you'd like it to go. Frankly, sure. I'd love to do it again because there is something about the idiom and something about your presentation of it that makes for a fine conversation. Is there a sharing of the details of your festival you would like to verbalize to the listening audience so those who wish to come can. Yeah, you know, it's, it's funny. I, I, there were a couple last year that came down from New York um, that I met, and they, they introduced them themselves to me uh, at one of the venues. And they had no idea what to expect. They just decided to jump on you know, the train and, and come down and they had drinks in their hands and they were clearly drinking <laughs> previously, uh, to, 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 to me, uh, meeting them, but they were really fun and really appreciated it. And, you know, I don't know that they were even jazz fans per se, or, you know, whatever that is, but, they really appreciated the festival and they really appreciated the atmosphere. You know, as, as serious as people are during the shows and the performances, I, I never told them to do that. I never requ- required that of them. It's something that just ha- happened naturally when, when there was engagement, you know, the, the audience was just really engaged with what, with what is happening or what was happening on stage. Um, but you know, there are, there, there, there are times where people, you know, the, the environment that these bar, that these shows are presented in aren't the typical performing arts centers. They're, they're very, you know, some of them are clubs, some of them are, just bars that present music regularly throughout the year. Um, and, you know, they're very casual listening environments. You can wear what you want. You know, you can look the way you want to look. You can, you know, there, there, there's nothing that you have to bring to the table. You just need to show up. And people have reacted very well to the lack of expectation on them. Um, and you know, it's a very easy thing and you get one wristband and you can get all around to all the five venues to see any show you want, uh, as long as there's room in the venue. And, you know, it, that's another way that is easy for, for them. You know, they, they can decide whether or not they like something or if they would rather just explore it. One of, the, one of the other four venues. Ernest, if I may, uh, one of the difficulties of having an interview program for anyone is the fact that the clock on the wall often determines where we'll begin and where we'll end. Yes, sure. This has been marvelous. And as I say, uh, the door is open if you want to turn the knob and walk in one more time. But there... I would love to, yes. It's my pleasure. Last minute, uh, can you just share 
dates, times, places, anything that will get people off the couch and into their cars and on their waist. Sure. So I would say that the Center City Jazz Festival is set up along what I consider the Sansom Street Corridor. And there's five venues, uh, Chris's Jazz Cafe, Time Restaurant, Frankie Bradley's, Maison, and Fergie's. And you get one Rick's band, and you could go around to all of the venues to see any of the 20 bands that are performing throughout the day. Uh, it's lots of fun. It's something that, you know, I enjoy attending, you know, as well as presenting. And given that it sells out every year, I'd imagine that a lot of the people uh, are also enjoying it. This has been uh, a rather enjoyable experience. The program's called Seldom Said. The artist, and I say artist with a capital A, is Ernest Stewart. I thank you, Ernest, for the participation. Hopefully, we'll see you again. For yes, listeners, please. Please, our pleasure. Thank you. For listeners in the audience, be there with us. Take care. Mm-hmm.